Preface of Prayers and Meditations by Samuel Johnson This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stephen Watson Prayers and Meditations by Samuel Johnson Preface These posthumous devotions of Dr. Johnson will be, no doubt, welcomed by the public, with a distinction similar to that which has already been paid to his other works. During many years of his life, he statedly observed certain days with a religious solemnity, on which, and other occasions, it was his custom to compose suitable prayers and meditations, committing them to writing for his own use, and, as he assured me, without any view to their publication. But being last summer on a visit at Oxford to the Reverend Dr. Adams, and that gentleman urging him repeatedly to engage in some work of this kind, he then first conceived a design to revive these pious effusions, and bequeath them, with enlargements, to the use and benefit of others. Infirmities, however, now growing fast upon him, he at length changed this design, and determined to give the manuscripts, without revision, in charge to me, as I had long shared his intimacy, and was at this time his daily attendant. Accordingly, one morning, on my visiting him by desire at an early hour, he put these papers into my hands, with instruction for committing them to the press, and with a promise to prepare a sketch of his own life to accompany them. But the performance of this promise also was prevented, partly by his hasty destruction of some private memoirs, which he afterwards lamented, and partly by that incurable sickness which soon ended in his dissolution. As a biographer, he is allowed to have excelled without a rival, and we may justly regret that he who had so advantageously transmitted to posterity the lives of other eminent men should have been thus intercepted in constructing the narrative of his own. But the particulars of this venerable man's personal history may still, in great measure, be preserved, and the public are authorised to expect them from some of his many friends, who are zealous to augment the monument of his fame by the detail of his private virtues. That the authenticity of this work may never be called into question, the original manuscript will be deposited in the library of Pembroke College in Oxford. Dr. Bray's associates are to receive the profits of the first edition by the author's appointment, and any further advantages that accrue will be distributed among his relations. I have now discharged the trust reposed to me by that friend, whose labour entitles him to lasting gratitude and veneration from the literary, and still more from the Christian world. His lives of the English poets are written, as he justly hopes, in such a manner as may tend to the promotion of piety. This merit may be ascribed, with equal truth, to most of his other works, and doubtless to his sermons, none of which indeed have yet been made public, nor is it known where they are extant, though it be certain, from his acknowledgment, both in conversation and writing, that he composed many. 
as he seems to have turned his thoughts with peculiar earnestness to the study of religious subjects. We may presume these remains would deserve to be numbered among his happiest productions. It is therefore hoped they have fallen into the hands of those who will not withhold them in obscurity, but consider them as deposits, the seclusion of which from general use would be an injurious diminution of their author's fame and retrenchments from the common flock of serious instruction. But the integrity of his mind was not only speculatively shadowed in his writings, but substantially exemplified in his life. His prayers and his arms, like those of the good Cornelius, went up for a continual memorial, and always, from a heart deeply impressed with piety, never insensible to the calls of friendship or compassion, and prone to melt in effusions of tenderness on the slightest incitement. When, among other articles in his dictionary, Litchfield presents itself to his notice, he salutes that place of his nativity in these words of Virgil, Salva mania parents. Nor was the salutation adopted without reason, for well might he denominate his parent city great, who, by the celebrity of his name, hath for ever made it so. More decisive testimonies of his affectionate sensibility are exhibited in the following work, where he bewails the successive depredations of death on his relation and friends, whose virtues, thus mournfully suggested to his recollection, he seldom omits to recite, with ardent wishes for their acquittal at the throne of mercy. In praying, however, with restriction for these regretted tenants of the grave, he indeed conformed to a practice which, though it has been retained by other learned members of our church, her liturgy no longer admits, and many who adhere to her communion avowedly disapprove. That such prayers are, or may be, efficacious, they who sincerely offer them must believe. But may not a belief in their efficacy, so far as it prevails, be attended with danger to those who entertain it? May it not incline them to carelessness, and promote a neglect of repentance by inducing a persuasion that, without it, pardon may be obtained through these vicarious intercessions? Indeed, the doctrine, I speak with deference to the great names that have espoused it, seems inconsistent with some principles generally allowed among us. If, where the tree falleth, there it shall be, if, as Protestants maintain, our state at the close of life is to be the measure of our final sentence, then prayers for the dead, being visibly fruitless, can be regarded only as the vain oblations of superstition. But of all superstitions, this perhaps is one of the least unamiable, and most incident to a good mind. If our sensations of kindness be intense, those whom we have revered and loved during life, death, which removes them from sight, cannot wholly seclude from our concern. The fondness, kindled by intercourse, will still glow from memory, and prompt us to wish, perhaps to pray, that the valued dead, to whose felicity our friendship can no longer minister, may find acceptance with him who giveth us and them richly all things to enjoy.
it is true, for the reason just mentioned, such evidences of our surviving affection may be thought ill-judged, but surely they are generous, and some natural tenderness is due even to a superstition, which thus originates in piety and benevolence. We see our author, in one place, proposing with seriousness to remember his brother's dream, in another, owing his embarrassment from needless stipulations, and on many occasions, noting, with a circumstantial minuteness, the process of his religious fasts. But these peculiarities, if they betray some tincture of the propensity already observed, prove, for the most part, the pious tenor of his thoughts. They indicate a mind ardently zealous to please God, and anxious to evince its alacrity in his service, by a scrupulous observance of more than enjoined duties. But however the soundness of his principles might, in general, be apparent, he seems to have lived with a perpetual conviction that his conduct was defective, lamenting past neglects, forming purposes of future diligence, and constantly acknowledging their failure in the event. It was natural for him, who possessed such powers of usefulness, to consider the waste of his time as a peculiar delinquency, with which, however, he appears to have been far less frequently and less culpably chargeable than his own tender sense of duty disposed him to apprehend. That he meritoriously redeemed many days and years from indolence is evinced by the number and excellence of his works. Nor can we doubt that his literary exertions would have been still more frequent had not morbid melancholy, which, as he informs us, was the infirmity of his life, repressed them. To the prevalence of this infirmity, we may certainly ascribe that anxious fear which seized him on the approach of his dissolution, and which his friends, who knew his integrity, observed with equal astonishment and concern. But the strength of religion at length prevailed against the frailty of nature, and his foreboding dread of the divine justice by degrees subsided into a pious trust and humble hope in the divine mercy. He is now gone to await his eternal sentence, and as his life exhibited an illustrious example, so his death suggests an interesting admonition. It concerns us to reflect that however many may find it impossible to rival his intellectual excellence, yet to imitate his virtues is both possible and necessary to all. That the current of time now hastens to plunge us in that gulf of death, where we have so lately seen him absorbed, where there is no more place of repentance, and whence, according to our innocence of guilt, we shall rise to an immortality of bliss or torment. George Strahan, Islington, 6th of August, 1785 End of Preface